Hey everybody, welcome to part two of my Retro World Expo interview podcast compilation thing. And I'm not going to re-explain it and waste your time because I already went over what this is before, but I will warn you that this is the part where we start to get audio issues. At one point, my lav mic's battery died, so I was able to use the guest's lav mic to get both of our audio, which means just what I was saying kind of got a little bit... Uh, maybe not as clear, which is fine. Uh, it's all about the guests, not about me anyway. But later on, both the labs died, and we had to make use of the boom mic that was sitting in the distance, which means it's going to be a lot more echoey. And as much as I tried processing it, it you know, if you drop off at this one, I don't blame you at all once the audio starts getting bad. But don't worry. Much love to the people whose audio dropped off on. I will make sure to get them involved in other content because they're all awesome people, and I just was trying my best to get to as many of these cool people as possible just to kind of share our conversations with you all and make you feel like you were hanging out there with us. But anyway, let's jump right in, and hopefully this one is still going to be enjoyable. The people certainly were. It's just hopefully the audio is going to be good enough. freaking see you again man i know it's man been it's too been, long yeah two years since we met in person last. I think so. yeah yeah since the last one a little over two yeah craziness but thanks for making the trip out i was definitely love these hangouts and stuff like that the expo i'm sure is going to be awesome i'm was, excited certainly was the last couple times so yeah this is, i mean this is our first time with laser bear doing anything like this so this is oh really this is really neat for for us and i've got a few of my staff with me today and or this weekend and it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool. It'd be nice to meet everybody or meet people in person. Like, always been the behind the yeah <laughs> behind the uh, you know website kind of guy. So yeah, now you get to be out in it. I didn't realize this was like your first expo doing this, but this is actually perfect because you got a ton of friends around. So yeah, definitely. You help if anything breaks, uh, especially if anything breaks. You got half the best techs in retro here hanging out with us. So oh yeah, we were uh, Artemio and a bunch of people, and we we're at my house yesterday. And I, I got a new arcade machine, mm-hmm. and like I'm just kind of looking over at one moment, and Artemio, Jose, Roland, a bunch of other people are all just working on my arcade machine, and I'm like, this is surreal. Like, <laughs> I imported the best of the best. I didn't mean to do it for my own labor. But You're going like, to pimp out your arcade machine yeah. this weekend. <laughs> good thing, too, that would arrive. It arrived busted, so good to have the help. But Nice. That was kind of funny. So you drove all the way out here, I'm assuming, then? Yeah. Super long... Oh, yeah, 23, 24 hours in the car. Oh, so um, did you just, like, rent a giant van? Do you have, like, a trailer behind no, you? No, um, so the, the two people with me, um, so my mom actually runs the uh, shipping portion of Laser Bear. So oh, awesome. she came down, and so did my dad, and we're driving to my dad's uh, truck. Nice. Um, so there's plenty of room in the back. It's a big, you know, uh, crew cab kind of truck. Cool. So we put most of the product back in the uh, uh, covered back up section of the truck and then whatever didn't fit there went in the back seat and I rode in the back and we'll be switching out drivers and kind of that kind of nice. thing on the on the drive um you know what it wasn't terrible uh, only ran into a little bit of construction so that wasn't bad yeah I think the, the worst part was like the last hour it was an extra 45 minutes of driving because of all the traffic here and outside of Connecticut outside of Hartford yeah. 
but yeah, everybody said that too, and it's funny because the GPS routed everybody around New York. Because mm-hmm. that was the thing, is it's not just New York. Like, you start cutting through southern Connecticut, and yeah. if you went on the wrong highway, you could have added two hours to the oh, journey. Yeah. But even going the other routes, you know, people uh, people said they got stuck, so. Yeah. So, it is um, what it is. You get there, and that's what matters, really. Yeah. Did you stop at a hotel, or did you do that crazy thing where you drive the whole way through and switch drivers? I know. We stopped at a hotel. So okay. we did 11 hours yesterday, or Wednesday, and then uh, yesterday we did the rest of the trip, so. Cool. It wasn't yeah. as bad, but do you like? Are you used to those long trips, or is this like a brand growing thing? up? We did it all the time. We never did that growing up. The farthest we ever drove was like, I think two and a half, three hours, and it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are we just in this little tin can with wheels on it? Let me out. But so. I mean, so I grew up in the in the Midwest, and if you wanted to do anything, you were either flying or you're driving. And flying, we can never afford growing up, so. We drove yeah. everywhere. Every summer we would do family trip or two, and we would go all over the place. Um, yeah. t- funny enough, this is actually my first time in this portion of the country, so hmm. it, it was really neat kind of seeing all the you know, the roadside si- sites as you're driving through. And, yeah, so you've, um, um, you know, we're... I wouldn't recommend going to Boston only because it's going to be an hour and a half there and an hour and a half back. But well, if you wanted to do that, it's here. And on the way home, if you wanted to, to see New York City, a lot of people don't like to drive in it, but it's super convenient to like go to one of the places in the upper part around mm-hmm. the city and then just hop on a train and come in yeah. and out. So at least you got options if you want to see anything. Yeah, I think uh, on our trip back, we're, we got to get back quick because my dad has oh. to be back at work on Tuesday or something. So we're uh. going to... We're right after the convention ends on Sunday, we're knocking our, our boots into the car and doing seven hours first night, and then we'll do the rest of it until midnight the next night. So it, it's rough, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a, you, you got to do what you got to do when you're yeah. doing travel stuff like this. And it's, it's shaping up to look like it's going to be a pretty packed expo, I hope. I mean, just even the people that aren't, aren't hanging out here, like just yeah. people that are getting in for the expo or I already see them start to, to pile in, so it oh, should yeah. be pretty good. But. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, because I mean, we brought a lot of stuff, and one thing I was really worried about coming to an expo like this is selling mod modding stuff isn't something that is as easy to sell to somebody who's just passing by. If they're interested in this hobby, they have already, you know, ordered 100%. or bought from somebody in this community online. Yeah. Like, uh, so we brought in a lot of different things kind of with us. So didn't bring a lot of quantity of anything in particular, but then we also, um, so we just got licensing to sell articulated um, toys. So we brought two boxes of articulated toys that have been printing on, you know, printers that had just been down for a few days because they were you know, we didn't have, you know, retro mod stuff to print on them. So That's we just awesome. loaded them up with these little little toys that we could print. Uh, we brought some um, di- dice boxes uh, with dice in them. So because I know there's some RPG crowd that come through here. And, yeah. you know, just different oh, different things we throw out that, you know, maybe it'll appeal to somebody and we can you know, have a conversation with them, talk about you know, what it is that Laser Bear does. And, you know, we've branched out so much farther than I would have ever expected as, you know, a company and I think that's just kind of how it goes in this retro community you start working on projects and you're like oh but this would be so much cooler to do and yeah you, you either kind of evolve and grow with it or you just do your thing and leave so it's Definitely. obviously we saw the path you took and you got yep. some really awesome stuff coming out yeah so. I mean I brought the those uh, new things with me this uh, trip like that big monitor that 
just the whole you know retrocreate crowd is circled around watching people play on it. Yeah. So is there any chance of finding stock of those panels? Unfortunately, no. All right. Then I don't even want to, no disrespect, I don't even want to talk about it because it's not Fair your enough. fault. It's not like we're sitting here going, I know something you don't know. Like yeah. we're, we're trying, we're trying to find uh, it. I but, spent you know. the better part of two years talking to everybody in the, in the um, LCD market. Yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to show like where that kind of went and it, it sucks. But I mean, it's an industry that has moved on from that size, that shape. Four by three, nobody wants to make. Yeah, it's um, weird. Uh, just, I just I can't mean, understand it. What, what's really you know, weird about not wanting to support four by three as a resolution is you can still get that same width of 1080p that everybody likes, that 1920. But if you do a four by three version, you're at 1440 height. That is a ton of real space for you know creators like a four by three monitor would be amazing for anybody that does art yeah like not only gaming but there's so many as uh, you know so many different areas that can be done yeah old four by three monitors came in 10 1024 by 768 resolution but you can make new monitors you could have a 4k width with almost you know double the height of a 1440p monitor like, yeah that would be amazing you put all of your, your, you know, your little toolbars down the bottom and you can work on a 16 by 9 image in that same monitor. Yes. And I think the two problems are a lot of, a lot of times these bigger manufacturers just, they're, not, they're experts at what they do and mm -hmm. they're not really dialed into the marketing and, and customer facing side. Yeah. So it takes somebody to tell them what to do. But mm -hmm. the only way you're going to tell a panel manufacturer what to do is by ordering 100,000. Oh, yeah. That's it. You could tell them, like, hey, you should really make this. A lot of people will buy it. And they'll be like, okay, uh, so will you start with 20,000? Yeah. Like, no, like... It's... Well, even that was hard because um, I, I wanted to do a Kickstarter for this. And I went to AUO, which they do a lot of mm -hmm. panels for, for everybody. My old, my past life, yeah. And, like... I am like, I want to do, you know, 30,000 units. Well, can we make this panel in this size? And they're like, nope. And they had just shut down the production line on that panel in that size. Like, yeah. they hadn't even tore the production line down. Like, okay, you couldn't run that production line for another six months and, right. you know, make your money off of a production line you were going to cancel anyway. I mean, a lot of times when they do stuff like that, the reason they shut down that line is because it's like, yeah. okay, all of this equipment's about to break or starting yeah. to break, so you know, we're not going to put a million dollars into it to make thirty thousand. And so that's it, fair. It's annoying, but it's understandable. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, maybe this is maybe this is a sign. Maybe that means the older stuff is ramping down, and maybe there's going to be a new thing coming out that we could use for what we need. So yeah. who knows? But and honestly, yeah. if I'm going to have a or an LCD manufactured, I want an OLED. At this point, yeah, I just wanted an OLED. I don't, I don't need it to be another, you know, yeah. low cost production, you yeah, know, TN display. I would love to see those flexible OLED screens in a 20 inch shape where you flex it to be the exact flex of like an older CRT. And well, I we did that, I did that, um, that blog post on my website about it because yeah. there is a 13.3 inch flexible OLED display on the market now. And they want too much for it. They want $1,500 for it. So it's not worth buying right now, but yeah. um, I could easily do the Sony barrel. 
yeah. on that screen. And it would look amazing. And what I would also love to see is uh, to have, just to see if it was even worth it, but to have a custom piece of glass cut to fit that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that's how you maintain the curve, is you put that inside the glass, you know, and then, like, put some material to keep it. Yeah. Because the reason that CRTs were so thick was, or so heavy, was because that glass had to be really thick yep. to maintain the vacuum. Yep. So if you're just putting a piece of glass to create depth and a, mm -hmm. a sense of image, you could use them. You know, it would be thicker than a cell phone screen protector, but it's not going to be 200 pounds if you oh, made yeah. a 40-inch version of it. It's, you know, it would be 60 pounds. So oh, yeah. I'd love to at least try a prototype like that to see, like, do you actually get it, uh, get the same feel? Does it matter mm -hmm. at that point? Would you just, you know, with the OLED screen, would you not even need the glass? But yeah, I think, because whether we like it or not, we're going to run out of CRTs at some mm -hmm. point. Arcade machines, especially, are not going to be able to have tubes that, that work right. Yeah. So anybody that still has an arcade machine, to put something like that, a curved screen with a piece of glass mounted in its place, you know, the whatever crazy retro tank comes out next hooked up to it, and I think that that would be a consistent seller. It's not going to sell a million, but yeah. it's, I think it would consistently sell. But like you said, even artists, right? Yeah. I guess the good thing about a flexible is you could make some flexed and some not flexed, but yep. you could do a cheaper one without the glass that's no flex to it. And I know so many people that would use that. Um, as I mean, I was about to say as their secondary, but I bet you their main monitor mm -hmm. too, depending. So yeah, like. I, I would switch out my, I have a 34 4K monitor in my um, main desk. I would switch out to 4x3, that's 4K resolution, Yeah. any day of the week. Yeah. Like, yeah, you might lose a little bit of total space this way, but when you start getting into that 34 inch screen size and you're sitting at it at monitor depth, it's too much. Yeah. And you do, you know, a 26 inch um, 4x3, you're pretty much at that same width, but you've now got significantly more height available for you to put anything on the screen. Yeah. Like, as I have it set now, I have a little 14-inch, like, um, 4K screen that does 110 pixels of height, and I use that for my data sheets while I'm working. So I have what I'm working mm -hmm. on up here, and I throw my data sheet down there. It's got enough resolution to it that I can read it very easily, and I can pop my head up, look up, look down, and... it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of expensive for what they are, but they're fun little monitors. Um, you can get them on AliExpress for like 200 bucks or so. But. Yeah, it's fun to experiment with that. So you're still selling the 9-inch LCD CRT kits, right? Yep. And um, uh, as I know you've been working a lot on the firmwares and on the different driver mm -hmm. boards for it. Is there any updates on that, or is it basically the um, same, just with little tweaks? Yeah, the, the most recent version is... Um, so the, the thing that we added was the IR uh, remote control support. Cool. So they come with a little um, remote that's, it's I think like five buttons on it. It's the same as the control panel at the front. Um, so you got a power button, you have um, up and down and menu and back. So it's, it's not really all that there is to it. I still think it'd be easier to use that than the buttons in the front anyway though. So. Yeah. And that, that's kind of why I, why I went down that route because it'd be nice to just not be you know dealing with all of that. Yeah. Um, and when we did that, they accidentally added the ability to do a 180 degree rotation mode. So hmm. the thing that's neat about that is not all Tate mode games rotate the same direction. But if you flip that 180 mode, if you had set your game or your monitor, you know, one way to play a Tate game and then you want to play another one, you can just go in and flip that with that 
option, and now the game that is flipped the wrong way is flipped the right way. Does that add any latency? Nope. You know, I wouldn't expect it because you're not you're not buffering a frame to no, put yeah. a vertical frame in a 4x3 horizontal. You're just changing the direction of which it's drawn. So, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So. Yeah, the nice thing about those, um, so the, the iPad's kind of interesting screen in its own right. Got the rain coming down now. Wow, that's crazy. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> We're also up pretty high, so it's probably going to hit a little harder than it would have otherwise. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the nice thing about those 9-inch uh, iPad screens is um, the screen itself is DisplayPort. Mm -hmm. So uh, the conversion from HDMI to DisplayPort is really, really simplistic in, in how it works. And that's why we're getting such great latencies on those screens. Yeah. Is there's just not a lot of work that has to be done by the driver board. Because the screen itself can take a lot of that effort away. So like that stretch mode where um, if you were to throw like a 1440p image to that screen, mm -hmm. it's going to stretch it out the rest of the way. That is done on the monitor, not on the driver board. So mm -hmm. that is just sending that directly to the monitor or to the LCD panel itself. And the LCD is just doing it. And okay. that's kind of why it's so fast is because it's just integrated in the LCD and it just, oh, this is the image I'm getting. Well, I'll just throw these extra lines in and these spaces to fill that gap out. That's interesting. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting, you know, situation. And I'm sure that was, you know, a requirement that Apple had of that LCD when it was manufactured, and that's why it does it. I mean... Yeah, because those were, the, I mean, essentially iPad panels. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure other tablet manufacturers took it, but, you know, that's why they were created. So. Yep. Oh, huh, that's yeah. pretty neat. So, I, I mean... The driver board does have to do stuff, like, obviously, I mean, something has to happen, but yeah. it's not doing as much heavy lifting as some of the other situ or, uh, type of, you know, adapters or driver boards are on the market, so. And have you, um, ha have you been able to test the latency at its native resolution to see if there was any difference? Because all of my I testings, have... it's like z almost zero difference. But... Yeah, I have not been able to find a good testing solution that'll do the 1536p. Um, I think everything that I've thrown at it, at bottom of the screen, you're still under a frame to to the screen. Nice. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's getting picked up on camera, but this is certainly making it uh, a little interesting. Interesting, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's you know it's under a frame of lag. Um, like if you take the the. Um, uh, time sleuth and you measure at the top one, you're usually measuring like three milliseconds or something like that. Or yeah, two it, milliseconds. Was, it was sub three. It was like yeah. two point something. So that's, I mean, that is zero. You know, there's yeah. anybody that wants to argue that, they, they're usually confusing frames and milliseconds. Yep. Three milliseconds is nothing. So that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I wonder if um, any of these panel manufacturers are going to be doing like, 120 hertz, 240 hertz versions and stuff like that. Because I saw uh, I saw Art brought his 390 hertz mm -hmm. setup at Brooklyn Video Games the other day, and I was just like, this feels so good. So, um, it, it's really interesting uh, with those kinds of monitors. So, like the DisplayPort based LCDs, they're only going to do what they are made to do. So most of them are 60 hertz. Um, but when you start getting into some of the newer technologies for the way that they communicate, like MIPI and uh, uh, what's it? 
I can't remember the name of the other new standard. And then even LVDS, which is the older standard, mm -hmm. you can overdrive the monitor's refresh rate if you have the equipment to do so. You're just oh. going to be limited by what the pixel response time is, and that's really what it comes down to, is you, you have to have a pixel that can go back to being black as fast as possible. And I think OLED is really the only technology that's able to do that any type of decent manner. Yeah. Like, like maybe QLED could do it, or Mini-LED. Mini-LED might be able to do it. I haven't looked really into, into Mini-LED, but um, it, it's really down to that. Um, and like I said, the EDP, the uh, in, embedded display port monitors, just yeah. will, they will never do more because they will only take what they can. Um, so like the iPad display with the EDP, we can only push 63 hertz because that is the maximum that that EDP um, setup allows. If that panel exposed like an LVDS signal, we could have probably pushed 75 hertz to do native for the Wonderswan. But whether or not the pixels will look good doing you know that overdriven thing yeah. is a different story altogether. But yeah, it makes sense. I don't know. I think there's so much room for what's to come next with display technology that applies oh, yeah. to both modern and retro. And I think it'll probably come together maybe five-ish years from now when we're mm -hmm. all actually, all gamers will want the same display regardless of what they're playing, whether they're playing NES or some brand new, like the new oh, version yeah. of Tekken or something like that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so what do you have coming up on the horizon you just launched the blue retro gamecube yep. adapter the full plug and play board i thought that was so cool i really yeah. liked that one so uh, you got that coming up those you said will start shipping this fall right yeah well, um, i mean like next month no november is probably um okay. a safe bet so the, this first one because i had no idea what the market would look like for it i wanted to just have an open pre-order for three weeks that anybody who wanted to who could get in on it mm -hmm. so that nobody would feel like they're being left out. And then I wanted to order it at the end of that so that you know we could get them going. And um, I believe that Castlemania is going to also be offering pre-orders on it. Um, we're talking that through this weekend. Cool. Um, I'm going to be reaching out to a few other vendors that have expressed interest in it. And we're going to you know, make it as widely available as possible. And with that extra help of other vendors being part of the order, we're going to order additional units outside of the you know, pre-order. And we're hoping that this is a product that can be available as an in-stock item. So pre-order no ship, but at the same time, it's now in stock for other people to be able to get. Yeah. Okay. So pre-order ship, it's an available in-stock product. And you won't have the scalpers being able to you know, throw this up on eBay for $300. Good. Very so good. So that was kind of one of my goals. I don't want scalpers to just... <laughs> ruin the fun for everybody. I want it to be available. And then yeah. after that's done, we're going to start looking into doing it for other consoles. Like the, the Dreamcast is a good choice. Definitely, um, especially because that controller board is pretty finicky anyway. Yep. So, It'd yeah. be nice to have a good replacement one. And then do all of the, the enhancements for, or, you know, the, um, the nice enhancements for, for the life of the console. You know, mm -hmm. replaceable battery socket. Um, put in the uh, resettable fuses for the controller ports. Yeah. You know, the stuff that should have been there probably in the first place, but, you know, these consoles were only supposed to be on the market for five years, and at the end of that, you know, they weren't going to be supported, and that, that's what they did. I mean, right. I mean, those are the perfect consoles to start with, too, because, like, you know, 
plugging a, you know, making an NES replaceable internal Bluetooth thing, I'm sure it would sell, but like yeah. GameCube, Dreamcast, these are plug and play things where it's mm -hmm. separated. You don't need to mod anything. Um, you know, just the whole the whole thing about it, it just seems pretty awesome. So I yeah. think you have a few consoles that you could probably do that with. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's neat. so. And then we're we're probably looking to like the PlayStation One. Um, I know there's some Saturn models that do the same thing, but I don't know that you know it's a viable one to support. At least not without making it clear that you need to check to make sure that your controller board's a separate board. Yeah, and that's when it kind of gets a little like a little more past beginner because yep. like for the GameCube you need to buy a cheap one dollar game bit screwdriver yep. and you need to have a Phillips head screwdriver and that's it yep. there's like you don't need to solder you don't need to you don't need to really even understand what you're doing you just need to not be a meat follow head the and, guide. and tear it off yep. so, follow the yeah. guide and this wire goes here this wire goes here and button yeah. it back up and put it back together that's awesome and so yeah, I'm. I was surprised with the the support behind it, and I'm really happy with the way that it's turned out. Yeah. Uh, the, the I imagine you get quite great. a few orders for that. Oh so, yeah. Good. I'm glad. Really glad to hear it. <laughs> I always love to see good products and good people get ahead, and it just it makes me happy. Especially you know the three of you that put that together. You know you and Darth Cloud, and then Tito doing the launch videos, yeah. like the trifecta of awesome. Yes, yeah, so that was cool. I'm really happy to see that shit. Yeah, and Darth Cloud is working on even more features than we even promised with that board. Yeah, he tends to do that. I so, like him. <laughs> uh, he he and Extremes are are working together, I believe, and it. We should have some nice integration with Swiss, so that would be incredible. Yeah, I'm. I'm I can only imagine. Like, this is probably what, well. I'm. A, first of all, this is software upgradable, right? Yes. So, and how does that process work? So, um, the the device itself only supports Bluetooth. So you need to have another device that has Bluetooth and the ability to access the web. There is a so a so cell phone, a Bluetooth. laptop, okay, anything that can access a website and has Bluetooth out. So something that most people already own, yep. even if they don't realize it. So, yeah, I can only imagine the combination of Dark Cloud and Extremes. And mm. I, I like I even bet what it's going to be at launch day and what it's going to be next year is probably going to be ridiculous because Extremes is just known for that. Like, oh yeah, hey, you know that thing no one ever expected to even be possible? Here it is. Like, so yeah, he we'll see. he actually reached out to me on it to because uh, there's um, on player one and two there's a pin that is connected into the GameCube that nobody knows anything about, hmm. except for Extremes. <laughs> <laughs> he, he reached out I to me about it. it, and he goes, what, what are you doing about the, uh, the uh, light gun port? I'm like, light gun port? There's no light gun <laughs> games for the GameCube, light gun port. I, I went online, I looked it up, I'm like, I don't want to sound like I don't know anything when I respond to him. And I, I'm like... I, I don't, I don't know, so I'm, I'm guessing at this one. I'm like, do you mean the bottom middle pin on the controller port? Yeah. I had no idea that's what that was for. He goes, Neither yep. actually. I don't like, did they make light guns for it? Nope. Did they make light gun games for it? Nope. That's funny. So, okay. He's like, are, are you running it to the, to the um, port? I'm like, I wasn't going to, but I guess I'll Running do a trace it. doesn't cost any extra money. Yeah, so I'll do sure. it. Yeah. I just thought it wasn't used for anything, so I didn't have it, you know, modded out. Like, um, and then I threw um, the UART uh, connections from the uh, microcontroller onto the other two ports, so you can mm. have an external adapter to plug in and program it if 
you know, need a hardware reflash. So that's awesome. Um, you know, that'll be documented as an advanced setup type of thing where you're not really doing that unless you really need to do that. I still love that shit though. But, I can't believe that. Like, I, I just I'm excited for this project. It's gonna be neat. Do you have anything on the horizon that you want to talk about, or you want to wait until it's ready before? Um, like, um... Yeah, any, anything else that I've kind of got in the, in the back burner is pretty much either secret or um, it, it'll be announced. You know, makes fairly sense. soon. Yeah, um, everybody here that I've been talking to, I always ask that, and I always want to make sure I'm not pressuring you to yeah. say anything. But like, I just a lot of people they feel uncomfortable self-promoting so I'm yeah. always like self-promote we're here to talk to you we like you what do you got but no if you yeah. keep it under wraps until it's ready then that's cool yeah. and then uh, I guess the, the only other thing that's coming out that I've worked on I'm not directly selling and that is the uh, Memcard Pro mm, uh, yeah. for the GameCube so I'm doing that shell I'm also doing the shell for the PlayStation 2 version so nice. and both of those have been announced um, the publicly. PlayStation 2 version was announced? yep when? Uh, a couple of weeks ago. How did I miss that? Yeah, he, he Or did quietly, I talk about it in quietly, my podcast and think, forget that I did? That's I, I happened know. before. I've had people be like, oh, man, the thing you talked about was awesome. What? But yeah, he quiet, the thing for quietly that announced it on uh, on <laughs> Twitter with just like a post of the uh, his um, like dev board that he's got plugged into it running. So, um, And it would... It can't. There can't be a dual-use one. You would have to have one for each. Um, I believe the PlayStation Two one will work on the PlayStation One. No oh, shit. But not the other way around. There that is makes some. Sense. There's some hardware changes that have to happen to support PS Two, and the original board just there's no way it would ever support it. Yeah. Um, huh. But well, that'd be pretty interesting because that means building a free McBoot system would be easier. Updating mm-hmm. the free McBoot's easier. You don't have to use a. You know, USB is yeah. taking a USB 1.0 slot to transfer stuff. You can yeah. just throw it in your computer. So, yeah, that's going to yeah, be throw awesome. Throw it on the way, uh, onto the little SD card and, and go. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, I think those are the two next things that, that are coming from, you know, I did the, the shell design work on. So Awesome. I'm not directly involved with selling them or supporting them, but. Still, still a product of Laser Bear. So, yeah. awesome. Cool. Well, man, it's, I'm so happy to see you here. This is a lot of fun, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll have a great show. And of course, we'll be posting pictures up and everything too. Oh yeah, so. yeah. Awesome. There's already been pictures of that that 21 inch monitor floating around Twitter. And oh geez, there's so many people that, that are going to be a little disappointed that it's not as as accessible. Yeah. I, I mean, and the shell design for that, I plan on just publishing. Like, if you want to build one yourself, you can get a hold of the panel, and it may be something that in you know another five years. Those medical applications will have discontinued using them, and the secondhand market will be flooded with high-resolution, you know, panels. You know, they not, may not be in the best condition, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping for the other side. I'm kind of hoping a new a new product is released for yeah. the medical industry. That's oh, a yeah. super high-resolution four by three monitor that we could also purchase. Or <laughs> Yeah, I still have some contacts in the medical industry, so if every, if there were ever a large company buying 100,000 of them, I could mm. totally be like, let me get 10,000 of those over to the laser bears so we can do yeah. <laughs> that. Yeah, I did, I mean, I did find one company that still makes the 4x3, you know, 1536p uh, panels, but they want $1,100 a panel. And, you know, there's probably a few people that'd be willing to spend, you know, $1,400, $1,500 on an end-use monitor, 
but not many. No. And I have to order a minimum quantity of 101, which 101 is just the weirdest number for a minimum quantity. I've never in my life heard that. Yeah. 100 is, 100 as a minimum is in fact usually like, uh, we'll, we'll allow you to buy 100 just for the first run to try it out, but then yeah. it's usually 500, but mostly 5,000 is usually the number. I've never heard 101 ever from any company. I don't, I don't even understand the logic behind that because it's not going to be a full case. One box is going to be missing. Maybe that's the scam. You're going to get charged for two boxes of shipping. <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows these days? I, I, I'm like, okay. Oh, well. But, yeah, that, that would have been a cool panel, but... Yeah, it's just cool. It's just not not feasible as a marketable product, and it's unfortunately, you know, yeah, how it goes it is what it is. Well, this was interesting because we went from a cloudy day to a lightning and thunder, immediate rainstorm, and now it's bright and sunny. So whoever, whenever we switch to this dual shot, it's probably going to look terrible. So whatever, yeah. but at least it was interesting and exciting. This was neat. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, thanks, dude. Yeah. What's up, Todd? <laughs> Good to see you, man. Yeah. So this is uh, my first time seeing the rotate stand in person. So yep. I want to talk to you, but I also want to check out the stand. So this is your newest thing. Uh, see, I'm probably going to get that sort of in focus. I love this thing, man. It's perfect. So you've been on the channel before. You've been interviewed. We're just kind of catching up. We're hanging yep. out at the expo together. So let's just jump right into it. Where'd you come up with the idea for the rotate? Like, tell us the story. Um, okay, so it was a couple months ago. I was um, setting up my garage, and I was having a garage sale, and we it it was busy for the first hour, and after it just died off like most garage sales. And I'd have somebody out there every you know 15, 20 minutes. So I was sitting around just bored, and my initial thought was to just go get the switch. I thought I'd sit there and just play some, but for me, you know, holding the switch like you normally do, like this with the Joy Cons on the side. It's just, it's uncomfortable. It, it's, I don't it's, like it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After about 20 minutes or so, my hands like just cramp, and it's like. Unless you have somewhere to rest your arms, it's like it's just heavy. And I can only imagine how much worse it is for things like the Steam Deck because it's like it's even yeah bigger and heavier. And so my initial thought was, you know, I'd bring it out and play with it. And I was like, oh man, I don't really want to do that because I don't like sitting playing like that. And also, the the Switch has a kickstand, but the kickstand has limited functionality. I mean, you yeah. can you, if you have the OLED one, it's not a bad kickstand. This one that I have on this uh, on this rotate is the original one, and that kickstand is terrible. It's straight up is unusable. Absolutely terrible. I agree. And all those all those promotional shots Nintendo did of like the excited young people playing their Switch on a stand. I was I, when I got by on the first day, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna really play that way, but let me see how it flop. I'm like, oh, okay, it doesn't really stand up with that. Thing, yeah, huh? yeah. And the OLED one uh, works pretty decently when you horizontal, but when you do them vertical. It, it'll support it, but it's kind of wibbly-wobbly. It's not great. So I thought, you know what? It'd be kind of cool to have a stand. So I went looking on Google for different stands for it, and I couldn't find anything I liked. They, they, they were all just, like, basic ones that just set in, like it just sets in and that's it. Mm -hmm. Or they were repurposed iPad-type stands or, you know, things that weren't specialized specifically for the Switch. So that night... You know, I started and, thinking well, about you, it. I got to interrupt you for a second because mm -hmm. you just skipped over something that's a super important point. Yes, you could physically take an iPad stand mm -hmm. and snap it over a switch, but it very often covers all of the wrong spots. You could put it down on top of the power button, you could, you know, or the the volume button mm -hmm. that covers the vents and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's doable. Yeah. Like if you already had an iPad mount and sure, you sure. just wanted for like, okay, well, just for today, I'm going to do something fine. But it's not. 
it's not really a good way to go about doing that. No, no, yeah, because you'll you'll totally block. I mean, the, the way the switch is designed, you know, the top has the volume, power, all the ventilation, the little S, the little cart slot. The bottom is USB. So yeah, you could you could very well, unless you clamp it to the sides where the Joy Cons are, which I don't know if, how wide they go, but if you use any of these sides, you're totally going to block something on this thing. Hmm. Um, so I, so that night I set out to start working on this, and over the course of a couple of days, I reiterated design uh i started first showing off the the head of the device uh, up here which is where the most important stuff happens you know the initial clamping action to the, the switch and then i worked on the rotation mechanism um this this design for this rotation mechanism came from an earlier design i have i have a um <laughs> i haven't talked about this but i started originally uh, a few months ago i put out a, a solder spool holder i don't know if you saw that the little did, vertical yeah. solder spool holder and you know it has a ball bearing in it and you just drop on a solder spool and you just pull it and it rotates smoothly. I originally started the switch, or the rotate stand based off of that design with that ball bearing. That's what, that's what turned into this head. Um, and then I removed the ball bearing because it wasn't necessary for this design. And I used the compression spring to hold tension on this. And inside of, uh, well not inside, but on the surface of this head, oops, <laughs> on the surface of this head, there's a series of notches, uh, cave outs in it, and then this rotates around, and it has a set of interlocking notches that just locks the place every 90 degrees. So that's what gives us this rotation action here, where it goes around and just locks in the place. And what's the wear on something like that? Um, if you took this, this one right here is made of PLA, which is, is not a terribly durable material. Uh, if you rotate it under normal uses, it, it'll last quite a long time. And if you were to sit here and just start rotating, around, 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 the friction and the heat will wear it down. It'll still hold, but it will wear it down, you know, over time. Uh, the, f the final versions will probably be printed in PETG or another heavier-duty material. Hmm. Uh, this will still be fine for quite a long time, but, yeah, over years it would wear down. But, obviously, you're not going to be sitting there just rotating, the, rotating and yeah. rotating and rotating and rotating this thing constantly. Yeah, I like it. And uh, you have a screw in the back. Is that for tension adjustment? Yeah, Same yeah. The screw goes to the back and amounts to uh, a 25 millimeter long spring. And these springs are I repurposed off of a 3D printer bed. Mm. Like anybody has a 3D printer, these, these are the kind of springs that like some of the Creality printers use that they, they, they hook the bed down and then they have screws that, that use a level. And mm. these are the stiff springs. And then I use one also uh, for the head to mount to the upright on the, on the stand. And it has a similar mechanism in there, which has a set of um, notches that are every 18 degrees, which gives it the ability to, to do that. So it tilts backwards and forwards, mm -hmm. and it rotates in, uh, like 360. So it doesn't yeah. only one to the left right. or one to the right. Like it'll just keep going. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. So uh, for anybody that hasn't heard the, about the Kickstarter yet, you're doing a Kickstarter campaign and it's multi-tiered. So you're, you know, if you make your main goal, which mm -hmm. you're just about there anyway, you'll have high-quality 3D prints of this. Mm -hmm. What's the price on that? Uh, for the Kickstarter, it's thirty dollars. Okay. And that'll get you a stand, and it'll come on the box with instructions. Which there's not much in instructions, but it'll tell you about tensioning these if you need to afterwards, and just some some basic uh, details on the switch. Uh, thirty stand. bucks is awesome because that's not really much more than just an iPad clip that's not designed to be used on a Switch, so it's, yeah. that's a really fair price. Yeah, and that's, that's if we hit the goal of $10,000, which like you said, we're pretty close to it as of right now. Um, I have a stretch goal attached to the Kickstarter of 100000 which I know is quite a stretch, but that would get us injection molding. 
Yeah, so I'm assuming anybody listening to this podcast has probably heard me drone out about this a million times, but just in case, to make, uh, to do injection molding, you need mm-hmm. to make a, a, a mold. They call it mm-hmm. a tool. And that costs a ton of money. Yeah. But once the mold is made, then you have uh, X amount of molds that you, plastic molds you can make from it. And that's the type of thing where the more you make, the, the lower the overall cost goes. So you asking for that amount of money, it's not like you're suddenly going to be making $29 on a $30 product. Right, right. You're, you're paying for the molds to ensure that you can fulfill the Kickstarter and continue to make these. So right. It's not, it's not an unrealistic goal, or and it's certainly not an unfair goal either. So. Yeah, because you'd be looking at probably ten to $20,000 just in mold cost. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, you know, you look at a minimum order quantity. Most factories won't do less than 1000 and a lot of them prefer two to 3000 So that's yeah. why I set the Kickstarter, uh, the goal at 100000 the stretch goal for molding, because that would give me the quantity needed to be able to produce uh, the amount I would need for that, that, that minimal order from the quantity from the factory, and then also give me the uh, capital to be able to do the mold itself. That's yeah. pretty awesome. So, uh, you know, it's, we got to just pause for a second here. It got obviously got darker in this. There was a tornado warning a couple of minutes ago, and uh, now this rainstorm just came in. So it would be awesome if we caught a tornado on camera. It would be epic if I got sucked out of the window and died because of a tornado. I'd rather not, but... You're getting all on what film. A, what an epic-ass way to go. Bob gets sucked out the window. Yeah, you're holding on to the pole. I'm already out. You better swear to me, if that happens, you publish that footage. Don't be like a crocodile hunter where they, they deleted the footage. Uh-uh. If that's how I go, I want the world to see me flying out that window. That's craziness. So what's the quantity... Uh, to hit 100,000. So how many of those do you have to pre-order in order to hit that? Uh, about 3,000. All right. I yeah. mean, that seems like a pretty realistic goal. Yeah. You just really need to... I mean, honestly, this is this is one of those cases where it's simply a matter of letting, making sure that the crowd that would want this knows that it exists. Right, right. Because there's always going to be that idiot that's like, why don't you just duct tape it to the wall? It's the same thing. But, like, that's not who your crowd is. Your right. crowd is people like me that don't enjoy playing in handhelds but totally see the purpose of i have a switch i have my you know uh, 8-bit go sm30 pro controller and i'm going somewhere why don't i bring this with me put it on the you know put it on the table and actually be able to sit and feel like i'm playing on a little tv not feel like i'm playing on a handheld because like you said you know i can sit on this table and rest my hands on the table and be playing whereas with the switch like i can't really do that like it, it's very right. uncomfortable for me so yeah i mean this was really designed for people that define uncomfortable to, i mean because obviously if you have a tv you would use the switch on a tv in most cases but if you right. if you're in a position maybe you're traveling like like we're right now traveling yeah you're sitting in your room you don't want to use the there's tv or if you're out of out and about somewhere and you want to use a switch in a different way you know you have this and i also designed it with a thumb screw in the bottom where you can take this and break it down to make That's it smaller. great. So you could uh, straighten it out, uh, take the bottom off, and throw it in your bag. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So that's you wouldn't run a chance of breaking something. And it has a threaded M4 brass insert in the bottom, metal insert. So you can take this thing apart and back and forth, put it together apart, back and forth. And you you're know. not going to be threading or uh, stripping the threads of a 3D print right. or, or injection molded plastic. Yeah. It, yeah. Even if we do the injection mold, it'll still have a, a brass insert in the bottom, simply for durability. Because, yeah, even injection molded plastic, you, you can take it apart, but after so many cycles, you start running down the risk of cross-threading screw uh, the threads inside the plastic or just wearing it flat out. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. 
Now, I like the rotatability. Mm -hmm. I mean this with respect. I think most people are probably just going to use it as a really cool stand that, that's designed around the Switch. Yes. But for the people that do want to, how many games support uh, a top eight mode, vertical mode, whatever you want to call it, for, uh, on the Switch now? Are there a lot of them? or are they? Just... Um, I believe there's 50 plus. Over 50? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a whole lot of the arcade series games on it. They're the... They were at a, they're emulated, but um, like like Raiden, for example, stuff like that uh, that are that have ver optional uh, vertical mode in them. So yeah, there's there's quite a bit, and, and there's other ones coming out still that, that also have optional vertical orientations as well. That's pretty awesome, because I know I saw your preview video. I think I actually bought one of the games so that I could try it vertically on that. I think I just picked a shooter that looked closest to like the bullet hell shooters that I loved. And yeah. everything, but. That's really neat. And then there's some collection games, like uh, the SNK, I think it's 40th anniversary collection, mm -hmm. that has a bunch of games in it, and a lot of those have optional uh, vertical modes, too. That's really cool. So, I mean, i got to ask, on the flip side of things, what mm -hmm. happens if you sell 6,000? Are you going to, like, offer different colors or something, or is it just, like, cool, we get more funding, you know? Um, that's a good question. If, if, it, if somehow this far exceeds uh, the the stretch goal, then yeah, I can probably try to offer some optional colors. Cause I mean, the, the, for 3d printing for the, the base model, I'm just going to keep it black, keeps it simple, keeps it easy for me. Yeah. If we hit that stretch goal and if we blow past the stretch goal, then yeah, I'll probably send an email to backers asking them, Hey, black, white, can we do some other colors? Maybe we can make some arrangements for that. Just try to match the colors of the switch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can totally try to come up with some custom color options. Uh, and also, I'd like to also, because right now the current design uses basic rubber feet, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, if we can get this higher, I wouldn't mind looking into a, a full uh, full covering on a bomb, like a rubber covering, oh, anti-slip mat. Like if you've ever flipped over like the like the analog consoles where they have a full rubber mat on the bottom, I wouldn't yeah. mind that. I don't know what the expense looks like on that for something of this size and the scale, but that's something else I wouldn't mind looking into also. That's a cool idea. I like that. So the entire base would be non-slip instead of just four points. Yeah, I mean, I, I have feet on a lot of the stuff that I have on these things, and they're usually on this type of thing, and they're very solid, but you're right, having having the entire base would be kind of cool. So yeah. That's pretty neat, man. I like it. Well, I hope this gets funded. Uh, anything else coming out of RetroFrog anytime soon, or is it really just like focusing on this and some of the smaller products that you release? Uh, yeah, this is my primary focus at the moment. I have a couple other uh, products. Um, I have a full Mr. Case. Um, yeah, you've been teasing that for a while, right? Yeah, I have, I have two versions. Um, one is a smaller, more compact version. Uh, anybody that's familiar with the, um, any of the aluminum plate cases, like yeah. the one from Mr. Add-ons, um, my, my plastic one's along the same size, that kind of, you know, just barely encompassing around the, the base Mr. Plates. Just, you know, a simple covering, full plastic all sides. Uh, that one uh, I've released to some, some of my Patreons on my Patreon page. But as far as I haven't sold any of them, you know, I haven't because yeah. it, it takes some time to print those. Yeah. Uh, I'm hope, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to offer those to people here in the new, near future. And then I'm also working on a full size, a large Mister Case, which that one will encompass all the original I/O boards and have room for a SATA SSD or a SATA hard drive. And it'll be a larger, it'll be about the size of um, like an original PlayStation console, that kind of size. Okay. It'll have like it'll have a lot of I/O expansion ability. And the best part is. Unlike some other competing products, it doesn't require the, the customer to buy um, any kind of new I.O. boards. Like a lot of the existing ones, um, you can use the DE10 Nano, and then you have to buy their I.O. board or their USB board or their RAM because they've got it customized in such a way that 
It can't use the the regular state the stack. It can't use the Mr. Stack. Yeah. Whereas mine is designed so people can utilize their existing uh, investment in those boards. Yeah, I like that because you know um, I I've, I've had so many of the different Mr. Cases and I've liked pretty much all of them. I think I think Pork's first case using the PCBs I liked it, but I was mm-hmm. like, this is kind of a pain in the ass to assemble. And then the next revision he came out with, I was like, oh, all right, this is cool. Yeah. But my favorite has always been. Um, this either the smallest pot or the going wider because I don't know why it's just preference there's no right or wrong I just I don't usually like the stack design so the fact that you're you're you know you're gonna spread it out and put the you know the drive next to it everything else I think that's pretty neat are you gonna have like little extension cables so that you could break everything out in the back or are you just gonna kind of leave it coming off on all sides uh, yeah I'm getting rid of the all sides thing because I think that's one of the things I dislike the most about the mister is the fact that you've got it's like an octopus you got stuff running in all directions yeah and it looks like a science project I hate it you know I mean I think I don't think anybody would disagree with you it looks like a, a science project with stuff going all over the place it works great but it's aesthetically it's a little on the lackluster side I mean I like I like all styles but my only opinion is that I prefer making it look like a console to put it next to my other consoles. Exactly. Right? Like, when I'm sitting next to my computer doing testing, it looks like an awesome-ass science project. Yeah, yeah. But it just, you know, just opinion. I don't think it fits perfectly next to a Super Nintendo and a Genesis, but having a spread-out one kind of would, I think. Yeah, because in my case, it's going to have on the rear of it, it'll have the uh, HDMI, it'll have power, it'll have a USB port. That, well, it'll have part of the USB ports, and it'll have the... Um, the serial uh, USB port, the ones for like external snack adapters right, yeah. and the uh, MT32 Pi adapter, things like that. And then on the front, it'll have a couple more USB ports, uh, power switch, stuff like that. And then on the back side, beside the ports, it'll have a slot for a SATA drive to go in and out. I love it. That's so, cool. yeah. Didn't you show a preview of something with like the MT32 Pi attached to one of those cases? Or? Yeah, yeah. I've, t- I've teased out a um, an early version of the case. I'm going to revise it because there's some things about it I'm not care for, I don't care for. And I, I want to make – my ultimate goal is to make the case um, as easy to produce as possible. Because mm. uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems uh, that we have when it comes to 3D printing. You can come up with crazy great designs. But do you have the ability to be able to produce those in any kind of quantity? And, well, even for yeah. home use, like, yeah. are people's printers big enough? You know, right. is it a complicated print where if you have a cheap printer, it's going to come out looking like a melted design. Or so yeah, that's good. It's good that you're thinking about that. Keep yeah. That in mind. And, and the current design takes about 24 hours worth of print time because the bottom's about 10, the top's about 10, then some auxiliary pieces. You basically have a a full day worth of printing with for one case. And unless you've got an army of 100 printers, it's going to take forever to get these cases out. So, yeah, you can't sell them any quantity in that way. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm trying everything I can to make the case more compact, easier to print, while still looking quite nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, dude, thanks for coming. Thanks for showing this stuff off. Oh, thank you. Everybody checks out the Kickstarter. And, you know, if the stand's not for you, cool, but share it with people who you think it is for, because I think I like it. I think it's awesome. I hope you make it. Yeah. Thank you. Take care, man. Hey, what's up? I'm here with Dasutin. Dustin, what's yeah. going on, man? Yeah, not much, not much. So you did the 32X test suite. Could you tell us like how that, how you even got into that? Because I remember you telling me at one point that you'd never done anything like that before. No, I haven't. So it actually just started, uh, I think, listening to your podcast. Hmm. Um, you said uh, that, hey, is anyone out there trying to, you know, I need help, you know, getting a test pattern, just a basic checkerboard test pattern. Yep. So uh, I listened to that and I was thinking because, you know, it was the start of pandemic and everything like that and wanted something to do. So I was like, you know what, that's probably a good project to work on. 
uh, you know, to, uh, see if I can go in and uh, see if I can find um, any examples out there. Um, see if I can find anything on like GitHub or anything like that of any development uh, for the 32X. There was nothing. Zero, yeah. Well, there was there was a couple projects here and there that I could find, but other than that, uh, just zero. When I say zero too, it like historically, no one really published it. Obviously, Chili Willie's done a bunch of work on right. it, and um, and Vic, of course, and yep. all that. But like, there wasn't like a an SDK or something like that released. No, right? no, no. So Chili Willie has kind of done like the um, the, the what they call the the tool chain. Mm-hmm. So um, some very light, uh, you know. Uh, functions that we could use to like draw stuff on the screen, things like that. And, uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, look at, and, and at first I was looking at more of the assembly side. Mm-hmm. So not even the C code that uh, Chili Willy has uh, kind of produced and working kind of uh, to, to see if I can get something drawn on the screen. I did that. I remember sending you something and it wasn't working on a, on a real 32X, but it was working on emulation. So I was like, all right, Maybe I'll, I'll take a look at the tool chain and I'll start using that, and then that's where it kind of began. And uh, and you got to have some kind of software programming background to just jump into this, right? A little bit, a little bit, and that's where I kind of wanted to start. I wanted to really have because um, I, I would say that's the that's the biggest uh, you know hurdle mm-hmm. of um, software development, looking to you know find something to you know develop for, yeah. trying to find your own project. And uh, when you mentioned that, I was thinking, well, maybe this is a good time to ju- kind of jump into there. And it kind of, you know, went, okay. went from there. Hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it obviously works. And so jumping from zero to, to that was crazy. Yep. So what's like, what were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to get over in order to do that? I think starting from, from zero when, um, you know, if you never did this before, I think just trying to get something drawn on the screen. Mm. Um, trying to understand how, you know, the 32X um, or even any console um, kind of uh, draws to the screen, trying to get a pixel up there, mm. trying to, from there, trying to get like even an image up there. I think uh, once you kind of get the hang of that, I think that's where um, you can kind of start to uh, manipulate things. Okay. So. And what was, like, what's the code like for something like that? It's, you know, is it... Did you have to use a certain programming language in order to do that? Is it? Yeah, everything's actually in C, uh, C programming. Okay. So um, uh, Chili Willy has kind of uh, done all of the, the, the stuff for the assembly side. Mm-hmm. It's kind of getting everything uh, ready for the system. So the Genesis, the, the 32X, um, everything that starts up in the background. Okay. Um, and then uh, everything that kind of you know maintains the processes that run uh, um, in the background when you run your uh, program in C, mm-hmm. um, and then after that it's kind of uh, building everything um, in in C at that point. That's so, really cool. Yeah, yeah. And so everything about this is running on the 32x, right? Obviously, yes. when I, I mean the tests, you obviously need a layer to boot the Genesis to tell right. it to go to the 32x. Right. But all of the patterns, all of the video, but the audio too is all 32x as well, right? It is. Yep. So now, it was MD4A imported to this as well yet? Or is Not that yet. still in the works? It's still in the works, right. That's going to be really interesting. It's also going to be interesting to test um, how the sound is blended and affects different ways, just using the test patterns. I, I mean, I got... I. I I tried out a lot of the video side of things, mm-hmm. but not the audio side at all yet. Right. So I have to yet to dig into that. But that was always kind of a thing because a lot of times we weren't really sure what audio was coming from the 32X or not. So right. having tools to be able to measure things would at least assist that. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty neat. So the, the original need for this was because I 
wanted to be able to set phase manually and to be able to do captures, but also I wanted to be able to test a lot of mics, um, like automatic phase detection for the RetroTINK 5X. Right. And there was no way to do that because 32X, even if you put, so just in case anybody didn't realize, uh, if you put a, like a the 30 or the 240p test suite Genesis, even if you plug that into a 32X and run it, it's running on the Genesis layer. Right. So having all those things, measuring the video voltage output, None of that was going was testing the 32x, so this would allow us to do that. So right. that was awesome. I was able to, to start measuring everything. So just that alone was huge. But having all of Artemio is awesome tools up there. It's fucking cool. Absolutely, so. yeah, yeah. And uh, what was pretty neat too was uh, going through and uh, taking what because what I, what I was doing is taking the Genesis version, and I wouldn't say it's a it's a port per se. Mm-hmm. I would say it's using all of the um, the look and feel of it. But all the tests are actually built for the 32x in terms of the enhanced functionality of it. Um, the so more- you had to write like you weren't able to copy and paste the code no. for like the all white screen to here. You had to rewrite that code and just use the blueprint of the 240p test suite as the menu. So as I was uh, mentioning to Artemio, is that I never looked at his code mm-hmm. um, in, in developing this. Um, I wanted to take it from a, um, a standpoint of looking at the test suite and when it was already running under emulation or, or the Genesis, and looking at those test patterns and recreating them. Mm. Um, and it didn't really get into uh, you know, using the, the code, the, uh, the kind of like the logic behind there when I went into like the lag test, um, where, I knew, where I wasn't really gonna spend the time kind of recreating that, yeah. um, because you know, our team already put the work through there and I, it works. So there's only probably three tests that actually kind of use that logic. Hmm. All of the other stuff I've kind of recreated by hand. And it wasn't um, as easy as like, um, you know, because a lot of the, the tests, the color bar tests, um, only show the, the colors that the Genesis can show. But the 32X can show 15-bit color. So yeah. I needed to recreate that whole test Jeez. You, um, for the 32X because it can, it can show more color. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Man, well, thank you so much. And uh, you've been part of a bunch of other projects behind the scenes I don't want to talk about yet, just because I don't want to put pressure on the devs. Nothing to do with you or me or, or, or any of you listening, but <laughs> I just, I always hate to be like, yeah, this is going to be out next month. And a year later, we're still like, how do we get that working? I guess so. Yeah. But thank you for your assistance on the other stuff. You're too. very welcome. Hopefully, we're going to make a difference with a couple of little fun projects coming up. So thanks yeah. very much, man. Thanks for yeah. coming. Thank you. Chris from Displaced Gamers. We are here in person, and I have to ask something Uh-oh. because we were talking about this on stream. I was freaking out, and your name kept coming up. Have you ever looked at the code for the arcade version of Outrun? No, I haven't actually. Because I I had an Outrun stand-up arcade machine. I nice. my ceiling exploded with water, so I sold it to pay for that. Sold it to an awesome person who, who seems to like it as much as I did, so it was great. But the last day that I had it. I was on stream, and I was like, I want to beat it. I want to beat it. I've never beat the arcade version. And every time I played two of the three songs, I couldn't get as far as if I played the other one. And at first, I was like, okay, I actually love uh, Magical Sound Shower, so maybe it's subconscious. Maybe I'm listening to the music, not paying attention. Right. Have you ever seen a game where, like, the choice of music affects 
something? Is that like a hidden Easter egg code that the developers are like, I hate that song. Like, yeah, no one's ever this <laughs> well, that would be something. So I haven't, I haven't come across anything like that, but it is really, really interesting. So I think it's way more likely that I was just distracted by a song that I like. But I was just really curious about that. It's possible. I mean, I, it does make me wonder about how the, uh, the arcade guys um, would go about doing their sound programming. Mm-hmm. You know, because like in the case of the NES, you have to deal with your sound yeah. after every frame. So, but, uh, and if you don't, then you start, you know, having all these notes that are holding. Like, for instance, I think Mega Man 3 slows down a lot, but the music's okay. And yeah. it's because I think they prioritize the music. They're like, all right, no matter what happens, just keep the music going. Doesn't matter if the game slows down, because yeah. if the music slows down, people are going to notice it more. Yeah. You know, and so people probably don't notice Mega Man 3 slowing down as much as, say, if you're in the top corner of Zelda and you're, you're, you're fighting a lot of guys that have shooting swords and it kind of goes, you know, it crawls a little bit and you kind of hear it do that. So Interesting. But on the arcade front, I mean, unless they, I mean, you probably want to talk to, uh, I mean, I don't know if you know anybody who's, who does arcade hacking or arcade yeah. homebrew. That's a kind of an interesting topic. I know a few, but I don't know anybody who, who presents it in the way that you do, which is oh. why everybody was like, <laughs> ask Chris. Is that the one? <laughs> yeah, I haven't reversed any arcade games yet. I would like to. I'd like to kind of get into, well, I don't want to talk about it yet, um, but I'd like to get into doing some arcade games, so but I'll try to keep, I'll try to keep OutRun on there, you know. Because so. it's, you know, it's from, from watching your videos and from having friends like Art and Carsey and Beast and all these amazing players um, I'm starting to see things that I've never seen before. And, you know, when you talk about, like, the hitbox area in Turtles, like, I loved, I loved that episode because it was like that, you know, I, I think every kid who grew up with that game still has a little bit of PTSD from that section. So yeah. It's like, so seeing the hitbox, like, the, the very last run of the path that I took at OutRun, um, there's one last sharp corner that comes out of nowhere. And I think, I'm just guessing that the arcade developers wanted to make it so like you have to remember that so like the next time it's like oh yeah remember that last crazy turn at the end and the i i got to that turn and crashed and the very last run that i did like my wireless headset was dying like you know I, that was it I was like all right this is the last one same exact scenario but i slammed on the brake and then i hit the gas again and it looked on screen like i had hit the tree but i didn't so I was just like, I was this, this is a displaced gamer's moment right here. <laughs> Why did it look like I hit the tree this time and didn't, but did hit the tree last time? And I just, it was really because of your videos. And I'm starting to think about things like that as I play these games and analyze them. And it was just, it was really neat. So thank, thank you for, for ruining video games. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry for changing your perspective on everything. Yeah. So yeah, it feels really weird too. Like, Playing games versus dissecting them, I feel like I spend more time dissecting them than I do playing them now. Yeah, so I think most content creators are there too, and developers as well. Like most of my days working with hardware developers or, or software developers and hardware developers together, and it's like I joke that my uh, the most game I've ever played more than every other game ever is the 240p test suite because I just, you know, <laughs> all I'm doing is testing different things. So. But yeah, I really love it, and it's it's the combination of of you putting these things into words that people can understand, with also having some pro players explain this stuff from their perspective. Because a pro player that knows how to counter moves in a fighting game or how to dodge certain bullets in a shoot 'em up, they don't know what you know, but they know how to get around it. So maybe you should do a mashup episode and pick a pro player that's really good at explaining shit, and then just <laughs> so like. 
I mean, shit, maybe you should ask My Life in Gaming to do that, where they pick a game that you know a lot about and pick a really pro player and then interview you separate and then interview you both at the end talking together to see like, what you <laughs> found separately. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes in a bit of a circle, too, because I've had people message me who, I mean, they stream all the time, you know, and they hold world records and stuff. And they'll ask me, like, hey, can you look into... ABC XYZ or like why does this happen yeah you know or I'll use them and say wow what are they doing here mm-hmm. why does that happen and then that inspires me to dive into it as well so that's awesome so uh, what do you have on the horizon that you could talk about I know I don't like to ever put people in a position where I'm like forcing you to talk about your next video in case you switch videos but do you have something coming up do you have anything you're working on or? so I have a little bit more with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I want to do nice. uh, that has to do with the, the jumping in TMNT so because that's kind of kind of weird very weird so I could spoil it a little bit um, yeah you can spoil it a little bit because it's your, it's your explanations that make these videos awesome the conclusions <laughs> with a bonus but like you know the, what was that uh, it's not the, the or it's not the destination it's the journey or something shit like that so yeah yeah I messed that up but whatever <laughs> so there are certain jumps you know you have to make in that game where I mean you can just barely tap the A button in order for it to happen and it's basically there are three different jumps that are in TMNT mm-hmm. and the, the toughest one to do is the short jump because mm-hmm. you have to let go of A within four frames in less than four frames now the game runs at 30 frames a second so you have a bit more time than you would if it were 60 frames a second. But think about the human equation with that, right? Think about being stressed about a jump. Do you think you're going to press the A button and let go really fast, or do you think you're going to tense up and hold it longer than you should? I think, I think unless somebody figured that out and explained it to you, most people would tense up. And I think, I think that's actually probably one of the major things that separates pro players from players like me, where like, I might even think, like, all right, don't forget to tap quickly and go, you know, so. Especially a pro player that's on camera, right? Because yeah. oftentimes they've played the game so much, they could be competing for a, a world record. And they're like, they're on camera just kind of like, yeah, okay. Because they have to get, make sure that they're not letting everything distract them. So it's, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So, and you just get used to it. Whereas if you're sitting there and maybe you don't play the game that often, or you have friends in there and you're feeling that inner that nervous energy as well it's like well yeah. ah, let me try okay it's so funny because they're you know everybody reacts different to different situations and like when i was playing on stage in the bands like that nervous energy just made me better like like oddly enough especially when like we'd walk up and they'd see me and be like are you the guitarist or the fucking accountant and everybody would even <laughs> go to the bar go outside to smoke and then you know uh, you, you start out playing for an empty room and then I, I would get that like I'll show you I'll show all of you and then like three songs in people are coming out like who the hell's playing like oh wow okay like I get that nervous energy and I love it but like when I'm doing these streams like I almost beat Outrun and that last tree and then I, I must have psyched myself out because it took like another 45 minutes to get back to it. And Outrun's got AI and logic. It's never the same because you always have different cars. You always have a random tractor trailer. Every, every three games, I would just get plowed by a tractor trailer out of nowhere. But a giant portion of that was that exactly what you just described. Like, everybody's watching. I almost beat it but screwed up. Like, I let myself down. I don't want to let these people bore them to death while they're watching. And <laughs> next thing you know, it takes, you know, it probably should have taken five more runs to beat it. It took 40 minutes or something. So... You make a great point about that. <laughs> That's really wild, though, thinking about, like, beating OutRun, you know, as, as an arcade game. 
yeah. essentially, beating any arcade game. Because how often do you go up to an arcade game and it's around other arcade games, right? And then yeah. after you get so far, you say, well, you know, I'll move on to the next one. And sometimes we latch on to, I latched on to Shinobi back in the day to try to see how, how far I could get in that. So, I mean, I think it's one of those things where if I was, if, if I was a kid and near an arcade, I, and I decided, like, I, I, you know, I loved OutRun. I always played it, even to this day. Like, you know, even though I, I owned one, I'm sure if there's one downstairs at the expo, I'm going to be playing that tomorrow. <laughs> but I think it would be choose your path, play the same path over and over, just like I did. People in the chat were helping me. Like, oh, they, I heard this is the easiest pass, path, path. And then just kind of memorize and do the same thing over and over. But it's funny to see certain arcade experiences like that. Because, like, I played Altered Beast on emulation. Mm-hmm. And it was a terrible emulation so like you know i knew that was going to be a factor but by the time i got to the last level i was like i would have never beat this in the arcade like there's zero chance of ever playing those levels over and over enough to memorize patterns and learn how to dodge it so it is different whereas you know you're a kid you spent the only money you had on one game whether you liked it or not now that's your game so you you, you kind of learn it then and do it so so you're gonna be you're gonna be switching over to arcade games ever at some point, looking into them, checking them out. I I hope so. I mean, like, I would love to get into Street Fighter Two a little bit, especially with the different revisions. Yes. Because I mean, they they tweak. Well, in addition to if you put aside like Rainbow and all the bootleg type stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. certainly a topic on its own. Yeah. But somebody back in the day had to tear into it and say, hey, you know, how can we put five million fireballs on the screen, let you throw them from the air, you know, do all that kind of kind of thing. So, Well, you're in the right place because there's somebody over there that's in the definitely in the top ten Chun-Li players on the planet, probably in the top five. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to introduce you over there because if you want to jump into Street Fighter, that's, I mean, the Brooklyn crew, half of the people there know, know so much about it. Well, I shouldn't say the Brooklyn, the whole New York crew. They're all spread out, Queens, Manhattan, Bronx, Brooklyn, but we hang out at Brooklyn Video Games. That's why I sometimes just call them that. But, yeah, you're, uh, you're in good hands today. Any, you know, <laughs> if you need any of the pro player side of things, you know, even Carsey's hanging out over there, too. So he was the, the speedrunner that did Resident Evil a lot and stuff like that. Wow. So. Yeah, definitely. It'd be fun to get their, uh, get their input on a lot of stuff. No Absolutely. pun intended. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, uh, they probably know all the various, like, well, in ROM Revision 1.01, you know, they, they balanced this and et cetera. 100%. Yeah. And so. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for doing this. I'm going to continue to bother you with my silly nerd questions. Me. And thank you for doing your write-ups on Retro RGB because you made me sound so much less stupid. Because <laughs> I just I read exactly what you say on the page. I do it with confidence, like I know what you're talking about. And but uh, so thank you because I do enjoy your videos, but I just I'm not a programmer, so I can't explain them the way I can a hardware thing that I know about. So thank you. Much no problem. I'll, I enjoy it. <laughs> All right, I'm here finally with Steve from Brooklyn Video Games. How are you doing, man? So I owe you an apology. I've been so selfish. I've been wanting to put you in front of camera for like six years now. But when I come to hang out, I'm always having so much fun. I don't want to stop and do an interview. So this is a long time coming. We'll do a real interview in the shop soon. Because the shop is awesome. But um, when did you, what was the year that you opened up the first Brooklyn Video Games, the first location? First location was uh, like 2015. Oh, okay. So I, I came right at the beginning then when I first when you first opened. So we announced at the 
right now we're in Brooklyn Video Games is that. Like one year before I was at uh, renting like a small uh, booth. I uh, I was there for a year and then we moved to where Brooklyn Video Games is at now. So okay. yeah, around 2015, 2014. So I probably I moved to the city about late 2015. I think late 2015 in October. So I, I met Cruz maybe six months later, not even. So I really did come down within the first year then. Yeah, probably. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah obviously I was a fan of the store. Um, you know, you always get cool stuff. You're one of the only stores you ever walk into and you got a BDM sitting there for people to play. But you did a great job, nothing but praise for that. But Brooklyn Games and Arcade. Holy shit, you have created the RGB Mecca right in Brooklyn. So it's a you know, normal store up top, uh, well, half a store up top, basically. Um, about the same size, the store portion now is about the same size as all the original location, which is still open and everything. Yeah. And then you have a ton of head-to-head, or some uh, head-to-head candy cab and a bunch of other new Astro Cities up there. And a full streaming rig, you know, modern PCs, and then downstairs is the whole arcade section. So that's like, where did that originate from? Like, did you find that place and, and from day one know that you wanted to do that? Has it been like, um, has it just been an evolution? Yeah, so it was a work in progress. I mean, you know, I think we all wanted something like that in between, like, you know, you, me, Jose, everybody, all the RGB enthusiasts, um, but we didn't have a place, so. Once I saw that spot for Brian, I, I sort of saw the vision, but you know, little by little we build it. So it's like, yes, some of the stuff is mine, but a lot of the stuff is also from the community. So like, you know, there's a few setups from Cruz, from uh, Bees, Ben, um, Destiny brought a bunch of the computers down, I think, too, right? Arturo. Um, Line plugs. I'm probably forgetting other people's name, but pretty much, you know, we have a bunch of retro consoles, BBMs with uh, G Star light switchers, and uh, pretty much a perfect combination. Upstairs is a little bit of retail, a little bit of new gen, and also the Japanese cabs. Yeah. Downstairs, we're setting it up more like American cabs, new wheels, big blues, and then all the retro setups. Yeah. That was that was cool. And Ronnie went downstairs the other day, and he was just like, I'm, you know, this is my first BBM experience. <laughs> wow. Because, like, everything there is in good working shape, you know. Uh, it's either, I mean, you have a good crew that works on stuff there. So if it's working, it's in great condition, or it's just got the sign being rebuilt because yeah. it's about to be in really good working condition. Yeah. So. so for the most part, right now, um, you know, crews are always there when we need major fixing or you know right now Supergirl's helping me Andy's helping me they do simple stuff like cleaning maintaining the machines switches buttons simple stuff like that and uh, we always try to maintain everything fresh and, and clean and fully working yeah and uh, I'm going to pause for a second and give a shout out to Andy I know he's holding the fort down in the shop yeah. today but we love you too Andy <laughs> so next time we'll get you up here but what you mentioned about the controllers so downstairs you have three Neo Geo caps mm-hmm. and you always have KOF tournaments down there and everything but not only are the buttons in good shape you have undamped adapters built in so people don't 
have to just use the stick that's built in. And because it makes so much sense, even though it's really good equipment, if you've practiced for hours and hours on your stick, it doesn't really matter how good the other one is, you want to know yeah. what you're familiar with. So yeah. people can show up to these tournaments and use whatever they're comfortable with. Because uh, we decided to put it on all of the Neo Geo caps and one of the big blues. Just so like that, there's no excuses, like, oh, my stick was somewhere and my button was working. You bring your own controller or five stick and you're good to go. Yeah, I, I, was, I was so impressed by that. And I think what really did it for me was the old location Somebody showed up with a keyboard, not a hitbox, the keyboard, and was whooping people. And it's just like, you know, that guy probably practiced his whole life on a keyboard and emulation. So to tell him to switch to a stick is unfair. So that was perfect. I, I, that really hit home for me. Like, wow, everybody could compete here fairly. He grew up in Peru. So it's like a, a keyboard, which is probably like five, ten dollars compared to a five stick, which is a hundred, two hundred dollars. It was yeah. a no-brainer to practice on keyboard, so that was stuck with him. Yeah, so, if you never, if you didn't start with a controller, if you started with a keyboard, that's just the way. Yeah. You know, so that was perfect. And then Jose actually modified it so he could use it with the unmanned adapters. That was, that was pretty cool. That was yeah, that was really cool. And then um, that experience the other night was the first time I ever saw 390 hertz in person. Our brought his setup down. That was insane. I'd love to see us contact some sponsors and have them send you some monitors to, to show that off. Because you know, probably three or four times today as I've been doing these, we've mentioned how like I don't think I have the words to properly explain the experience. You have to play it in order to understand how massive a difference that is. It's the same thing, like you know, with RGB, you have to. Have- put somebody physically RGB in their face so they can see what it is. Yeah. And once they see it, you go back home, you cannot see it. Yeah. If you go back to your Super Nintendo uh, with AV out and you just saw RGB, you're never going to be able to go back. Yeah. It's the same thing with what Art is trying to do now. Yeah. I mean, the difference is, though, well, obviously, I love RGB and all this stuff. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to have... Uh, a worse experience on a CRT at least if yeah. you have a composite right it's not going to look as good but the game is still equally as playable whereas if you're playing a game on kind of a even a, a low lag monitor but with all the motion blur and with input lag and then you start playing in 390 and it feels like you're playing on a CRT it's like you, I don't know how you can go back into 60 because I'm not even a pro player and I, I was playing with 390 for, for only like five minutes and Art was like alright you gotta put it back to 60 now and I was like I couldn't like yeah. this feels clunky it feels like sticky almost so yeah. that's cool yeah it's just I guess a lot of people get used to playing on 60 hertz that when they transition they feel it like it's too fast but it's just they gotta get used to it yeah but it's it's a it's a big difference. Definitely. So what are your favorite games to play? Do you play a little bit of everything? Do you love the arcade stuff? So, I, I mean, I grew up with, like, uh, Super Nintendo. That's what I primarily kept at all my collection. Um, Super Nintendo. Um, I played a little bit of K-Wilds. But I really just like to host events, um, do tournaments, run brackets and just uh, support games that, that people actually show up for, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's the whole thing. Like, 
in the little shop, we were running KOF because that's what we had space for. Mm -hmm. But in this new location, we have more space and we're able to support different games. As long as people show up for their games, we're going to keep running. That's an awesome attitude to have. I was there recently when you had a Smash tournament going on. It was packed. It was awesome. Uh, I've been there for a bunch of years. Yeah. And I, I always love the crowd that shows up there because it's every type of person you can imagine. And no one gives a shit about anything but the games. It's like it's such a welcoming environment to just show up. So. Yeah, that's what it's about. You know, different type of people could be in the same room and you play games and that's it. Yeah, who was one of your KOF players? I don't really think speaks English. Every time I came, he'd always come over, high five me, say hello, and like you know, it, it does. He doesn't really speak the language that well, but it's, he still makes me feel welcome every time I come. Like, I, I love shit like that. Probably handy on the level too. Uh, yeah, allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's good. We brought a lot of people that have traveled here. I always make sure they go to see your spot. And it's kind of neat that everybody around the world is that, you know, we've had people coming from, I mean, Tim came from Australia, like, you know, all over, Ronnie from Lebanon. Everybody has always commented about no, like the quality of the spot. So I was talking to our Tim and his friends, and they were a little bit tired, but they saw the store, they purchased some stuff, and uh, they had to leave a little bit early, but I told them, I'm like, Next time you guys were good, I would have drove you down to the other store, open it up, but you guys see the, the other location. Because yeah. we, we have more uh, more retail in the in the first location, more uh, merchandise. But uh, yeah, they, they love the second shop, and uh, you know they're they're into retro, so yeah. And I didn't realize there was that hotel that was just a 10 minute walk away. Like it was right there, yeah. and right off the N and R is in that one. So it's just, if anybody that's not in the city, there's, it's not just the subway, there's many of them, but this is a very easy one to get between Manhattan. So it's, it's a, you know, both the, the first location wasn't hard to get to, but it's a little farther away from Manhattan, but this is about as easy as it gets. So. Yeah, no, like you said, it's a lot of, a lot of hotels around the area. It's pretty accessible. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the only problem was right after you moved in, they started the construction on the street, so my parking spot is now yeah. temporarily gone. Yeah. There was that's like not, three or four times I pulled right in front of the shop and nobody was there. I was like, yeah, that's my spot. Yeah. Not, not, not temporarily, not for uh, long. So. We'll see. Hopefully they bring me back. Let's see again bike lanes. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. When I came the other day, I dropped everybody off because I was like, well, and you know, it might take a long time to find parking. I dropped them off. I looped around, and the first spot was open. Mm. No, that can't be. There's no way it's that easy. It, it was. I got. I got lucky. But, um, for people that have to drive in, because you know you're going from places. Is there any tips for parking? Is it just drive around until you find something? Or is it like, oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you one, do not, do not park in the pharmacy parking lot oh, and leave your car there because they'll, you know, they'll try, I don't want anybody to get messed with, but, um, but is there like a street that's usually empty or is it just one of those typical Brooklyn drive? Yeah, drives? like just go around in a circle and you're able to find either on a, Right on the corner by 61st or by uh, by 60th. You can go up. Just go one time around. You should be able to find parking. The worst time I was there, I zigzagged around and maybe took 
maybe five minutes to find a parking spot, which it's funny because if people are in the Midwest, they're probably thinking five minutes to find parking and anybody around New York's like, only five minutes to find a parking spot. New York parking is Everywhere. The Bronx, Queens, it's all the same. It's all just more cars than spots. So try your best. To stay on the Everybody says that I never mind it. I don't know. Yeah. Why. Especially when I would come down in the truck because if somebody hit me, I wouldn't even know. Things are already old and beat up, so who cares? Cool. Well, thank you for, for coming to this. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, obviously, I'm always going to continue to support the shop. It feels like my home away from home. So thank you so much for all the years of this shit. This is awesome. All right, we'll see you later. All right, what's up, Dan? Hey, how's it going? Excellent to freaking see. Always fun to see friends, and I'm glad we're past COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're on a monkey box, so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've obviously done a bunch of interviews together, so we don't really need too many intro. But I absolutely gotta first of all say awesome updates on the HDMI kits or the digital kits. Whatever, you know, excellent work. Very cool to see those updates, but. Everybody would jump through the camera and punch me in the face if I didn't ask you about the Infinity Switch and the Morph and the updates on that and, you know, what's like the, the public official status of that at the moment? Um, everything is still on track to move forward. Um, we're just waiting on certain chips to make certain products happen. Uh, we get a lot of demand for PS2 kits or a lot of people asking for one course PS2 and we're just waiting on certain chips for that to happen. Um, the Infinity Switch and Dreamcast HDMI kit should be available this year, end of the year is the plan. Um, Morph will depend on chips and things like that. So that makes sense. It's there's just no promises anything could Yeah, I mean I think anybody at this point that doesn't understand that has been in a coma. Yeah. I think everybody I think it's completely fair for people to get frustrated yeah. as long as they understand that it's not Pixel FX and they're like, let's hold on to our stuff just to piss people off. Yeah. Like, you know. like every every day we're almost looking to see is there any other chips or you know, I'm sure some of the suppliers get annoyed us with you know, us asking, you know, can we get these yet? Can we get these yet? And yeah, you know. So gonna do but we do have, we do have hopes and it seems like the it's kind of settling a little bit, like stuff is starting to not be as bad. Yeah, the example I gave earlier today was you, you can see the pinhole of the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. You're not yet there yet, but you do see that there, you know, we're not we're not continuing the descent into, into no parts. At least yeah. there's something starting to, to come back up. So. Yeah. Um, so I got to see bits of the Infinity Switch today. That looked just as cool as it did in, uh, in the pictures. Uh, but I did have a couple of questions, especially because I've been messing around with Extron Crosspoints lately a lot more than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. So the Infinity Switch links together, but then it's obviously just going to be you know as long as it is, or and wider as it goes. Are there any plans to, to make it so that it could, like, do you have, like, right-angle adapters so people could make it a square if they had? Or... So you can make it as long as you want it, depending on power. I mean, um, but there is, you can hook up multiple switches together. So the last unit can hook up to um, another unit. So let's say you have, you know, your room, you have all your certain starts over here or your, your components over here. You could actually have multiple switches and then run, you know, run them through. Okay. So it doesn't have to be one long one. That's cool. So how would they connect them? There's a USB jack on the last one that 
on the last module that feeds to the next module. And then you still have to use the, the, the base output of the one into the, into the last unit. That's awesome. Okay. And um, is there, and I'm not implying that you need this, but I just out of curiosity, is there any matrix functionality or is it really just select your input and you and select one input and then I know you're going to have choices for the output, which you're able to route, route it analog out as well, right? Yeah, so, it, so you select your, it's pretty much, you got all your inputs and then you have dual output. Okay. In your dual output, you can choose. It'll be one will be VGA or it's whatever you put in. So if you put in SCART, it's going to output SCART over VGA. So, so the G sub connector is the output, and whatever signal is in goes out that. So even if it's component, if it's S video, it's just on the D sub pins, and you use those uh, monoprice or Amazon breakout cables to get it. Yeah, or if you have like an OSSC, you can plug that cable directly into your OSSC, and that okay. handles all the you know the the AB3 on that handles you know. Um, VGA component and um, RGB. RGB, yeah, yeah. Just not composite or SVD or anything like that. Yeah. And this other output is HDMI. No, it's also it's also analog. So just so two D sub outputs. Yeah. So you have like well, it's the the hat for that can be anything. So it can be BNC, VGA, um, RCA. Okay. So the two outputs is one D sub connector and a hat of your choice. Correct. That's awesome. So yeah, so, so the setup is more like you you have your CRT that you go through your hat setup, and then you have your your DJ output to your scaler or whatever equipment you have. That's very cool. Um, is there plans for any transcoding modules in there at all? We've talked about it and that's and that's something we do plan to do, but right now that's yeah. But because it's modular if it takes three years to get around to it, you don't have to buy all new stuff. You can just add the transcoder piece, right? Exactly. So I fucking love this design. That's really cool. Um, so that, I mean, that's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of people. I mean, there's always going to be crazy idiots like me with a CRT wall that needs an old Extron matrix switch. But I think most people would prefer that, what you're doing. And especially because you're not doing some slimy thing where you have custom outputs that only plug into your scaler and your consoles. You're just like, no, if you want our switch, cool. If you want our scaler, yeah, that's the, cool. The switch is more, is more set up to be a standalone unit. It's not yeah. really set up for any specific... Um, any specific uh, scaler like that. It's really just... It's just about having a switch. Awesome. Uh, somebody was asking before, are you going to be doing a JP21 version? So the way with the new hats are, it's very easy to make a hat. The hats will be open source. Um, so people can obviously modify them, change them to their own needs. They can make D-terminal, JP21s, sky If anybody wants to do that, just do us all a favor and use like a great orange scart connector. So we all know, like, warning, this is not the, the Euro standards, the I, Japanese standards. On, on, our, um, on our runs, we do say Euro scart for the one we're selling. Awesome. So there okay. should be no confusion about what you're plugging into. But that doesn't mean that you can't plug in the wrong cable and blow something up. Yes, of course. I mean, it's a switch. It's not up to you to fix people plugging in the wrong thing. You're just designed to be a switch. And, and we're not really worried about our switch being damaged. It's all 5 volt tolerance. So um, so if somebody sends TPL through, it's totally fine as long as obviously the target device can accept it. Well, we won't output 5 volts. So if you plug in a 5 volt, we'll drop it down to 3.3. Oh, okay. Um, um, all right, well, that's actually pretty cool. I like this, the safety mechanism. Yeah, but there is a way to kind of 
there is a bypass that can bypass all the amps and have a direct output. Mm -hmm. um, and that's for like high speed, uh, long runs, you have 10AP where you don't need any um, amps in the moderator. If you plug that in, you will get five volts out. Okay. So that's kind of like, it's up to you to not. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, obviously for the morph, like, you know, you, chip shortage, you're trying to get everything done in, in together on it. But a long time ago, you published, um, like, what it would do, what you'd like it to do, some fun ideas. And one of the things that you mentioned was possibly putting a time-based corrector in there for VCRs. Is that anything that you've looked into at all, or is that just something like we'll get to it after the switch or after it's um, after the main design is finalized? We have it's actually something we really haven't talked about, but we did initially mess around with it, um, like some three D pump filterings and things like that for yeah. laser discs. Um, it's something that can be potentially added later on after you after you already have the unit. Okay, because that's um. I'm, I'm working on in the background a video about VCRs, and to be honest, why most people probably don't need to use them at all, they're mostly useless, but there are obviously many situations, and the number one by far is I have a bunch of family tapes that are important to me, I want to save these forever, when I plug it in, do whatever, it, if there's interference on the screen, it won't sing, I don't get any signal, and the time-based correction is, is something that would obviously fix that. But I'm also curious if that would fix weird sync issues with like PC Engine and stuff like that, Master System. And uh, I can't, all of those database or data video time-based correctors are all a thousand bucks now. I used to get those for like a hundred bucks each. So um, if that was kind of one of the interesting things is like, if that was integrated in, how would that affect video games? Of course, wouldn't at all. Obviously, it's not going to add lag, but like on the good side, how would it affect video games? Um, I don't think there would be any issue with the with detection of, of those consoles on, on the morph. No, not for the morph, but if you're running it, everything through the infinity switch and you have one going into... Oh, a time base on the, on the infinity switch. No, no, in, in the morph, but... Oh, no. Yeah, actually, no, I'm sorry. It's been a long day, but uh, yeah. So stuff like that's not going to affect the morph. You're not going to have any sync issues at all. And will the morph have an analog pass-through, or is that all going to be handled through the infinity switch now? Uh, what do you mean by analog pass? So, like, you input RGB, and it, will there be an analog output of the of the switch? So, or of the morph. I'm sorry, it's been a very long day. So, let's just say I don't own the Infinity Switch; I own the morph. I plug in an RGB signal, and I want to stream with the morph and play on my RGB monitor. Is there going to be an analog pass through as well? Because that was one of those things that maybe you'd do it, maybe you wouldn't. Not matter. right now. It's not on the plan to have. It would be you know you can split the HDMI output and. I mean, it would make it wouldn't make sense anymore because you did the infinity. Yeah, switch. you could split it before you send it to the scale. Right, and when you were first talking about what you might do with the morph, the infinity switch didn't exist yet, so that's yeah. why analog pass through is probably discussed in that one. But yeah. Cool. Um, now, you said you're trying possibly for the second revision of the Dreamcast Digital, the DC Digital, part shortage allowing, of course. Is it still going to be something that if you already installed the original, you could just swap the boards without any soldering? Exactly. Well, so the, the, the Dreamcast has three soldered wires at the bottom on the kit for two controller lines and a reset. So... We replaced that with the flex cable, 
So you can remove those wires, install the flex, which requires a little bit of soldering, but it's pretty easy. Um, or you can still use the wires, but you have to unsolder the wires on the current board. Um, okay. And then, but it is a drop-in replacement. It uses the original flex. You don't have to touch the main flex at all. So if anybody hasn't seen pictures of those, the, the main flex that attaches to the chip is very hard for any beginner to install. I would never suggest a beginner try that ever. But the other little connections are just very basic. So. Yeah, they're just it's just one single wire, and you just touch your iron, and it comes off, and you just put them back in the on the board. Awesome. And it, have you finalized the feature list? Is it basically going to be like it is one digital? Yeah, it'll be the FX framework. So everything that will run similar to that will run. I like that. That's very cool. I'm really interested to see the FX frameworks smoothing on Dreamcast. Yeah, is, I, I know I've said this a million times, but I was blown away when I did the 960p doubling on my uh, OLED TV because it was a sharp scale, and then the OLED's soft scaling from 960 to 4K. It felt like I was playing a PS3. So now I'm really curious how that's going to work with, um, with you know the, the smoothing filter going to a higher resolution like that. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, anything else in the works that you want to talk about? Or is it just those trying to struggle around the park? Or? You know, I mean, we're still we still going to stick to our roots. Kits are what we've always done. So I think that that, that we like still be our primary goal. Um, we always talk about new ideas. Who knows what will come up? You know. It's so funny because when I when you first created Pixel FX, you know, I was talking with all you guys, and your biggest problem was which idea to focus on. And now your biggest problem is which chips are available for which ideas exactly. I want to do. So it's yeah, massive pain in the ass. But yeah. thanks for doing what you do. Thanks yeah. for sticking with it. You know, I can't imagine it's easy now with this. But and hopefully next year things will kind of be back to normal, and we can just. I think it's going to be a little. I think it's going to be. 2024, everything's going to be back to normal. Next year is going to start. I'm going to be optimistic. I hope so. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong, but yeah, it sucks. All right. Well, thank you very much. I miss uh, Mr. Christoph and Wizzle. I'll get to see them as well soon, but glad you showed up too. So thanks, man. All right. Thanks. Shimmering.